With this being the episode of the show closest to what we all call Halloween, I have some thoughts on Christians in horror movies. It's also the show closest to Reformation Day. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more, so stick with us for today's Corey Truax Show. Welcome in from this edition of the Corey Truax Show. I am glad you are here. If you are here live on Christian Talk 660 Saturday morning, welcome in. And for those listening to the podcast in all the many and sundry places that you can find it, thank you for doing so. It is always appreciated when you like, share, rate the show wherever you find it. Helps others find out about it. Uh, it certainly would be highly appreciated. Also, a new thing, and then we'll get into some content. Have you ever wanted to tell me how wrong I am? Have you ever wanted to tell me off and just... Give me a piece of your mind. Well, you can do that now. For those of you who have the Anchor app, Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, like the thing you put into the ocean if you're a boat and you don't want to move. The, if you have the Anchor app, you can get it on iTunes or the uh, whatever the people with Android call it, that Play Store, whatever it's called. Uh, there's a voicemail method where if you are listening to my show on Anchor, you can actually call in. You can leave the show a voicemail. And then I can listen to that and maybe play it. So because it can be played... Careful on the language, right? This is uh, also goes on the radio and WLFJ, so you need to be careful on the language that you use. Uh, but go ahead. I'd be highly uh, appreciative to hear from you on the Anchor app, your opinions on what we talk about here. Got a lot I want to do on the show today, so we need to get in. We need to get started. But first, my name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, better, deeper talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. And you can get every episode of the show on demand, just about every podcasting app. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church in Greenville, South Carolina. You are invited to join Beachwood Church any given Sunday morning at 1030. We meet at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville for Beachwood Church. Here we go. Let me pin a rose on something. And I think you're going to go, hey man, that was like weeks ago. Why are you talking about that? Don't, don't talk about old stuff. I want to hear about new stuff. But I have a point, so stick with me. I am very proud that this show never talked about that really stupid Elizabeth Warren story about her not actually being Native American. Because I was right. It didn't matter in 24 hours. Maybe 36. It was a thing. People tried to make it a thing because cable news needs a thing to talk about. There's nothing else to talk about, so they talked about this very dumb thing that she did. And talk radio, just like they always do, they got the, the hook in their nose and they got dragged around by whatever everyone else was talking about. Cable news did the same thing. This is what folks want to hear. It's not important. It doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't further our national discourse. But man, someone will listen to it or like it or, or watch it, and therefore I can sell some ads. So let's just talk about this stupid, meaningless thing. And I was very proud we never talked about it. So what does that have to do with today? Well, I read a story in Bloomberg that I think should be encouraging. Because I think those of us that live in the political world, maybe that live in certain parts of social media, you're out there, you might watch Fox News or MSNBC, you think about politics and government a lot. I think you can stress out in a way that's unhelpful. You can place anxiety on things that don't merit it. And so let me give you some encouragement to start this episode. Most of the things that people talk about in the cable news world don't matter. I sort of just proved it to you. 
I could give you ten more ten more examples of that this year. Just like the Elizabeth Warren story. People thought it was important. It wasn't. It went away in two days. Less than that. Consider this stat to be encouraged. When you think about the number of people who voted for Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, those two groups together, you know they make up just barely more than 50% of the entire country? And Now, that means one negative thing. That means about 50% of the country didn't participate, people who could vote didn't participate in 2016. And that's another problem, right? That's a problem of folks disinterested in their representative government, people disinterested and sometimes discouraged. It's not just disinterest. A, a big chunk of people don't vote because they are discouraged. Not that they're, they're stupid, ignorant, or not thinking about important things. It's just that they look around and go, this is all useless. I don't want to be involved in this, and I could barely argue with them. But I have this uh, broadcaster I listen to, and he, he makes this mistake a lot. He talks about when anybody makes any mistake. He says, well, half the country thinks the other thing, or half the country thinks, half the country thinks this thing. And I think it has infected a lot of your minds where you think, half the country thinks if you are a man and you say you're a woman, then you're a woman. Half the country thinks that socialized medicine would work. Half the country thinks, we'll go the other direction, that the Confederate flag's a good thing. Half the country thinks... And then you fill in the blank with the scary thing, and then you think, half the country's crazy. You know what it actually is? It's tiny little groups. If you're on the right today and you want to be encouraged, you know how many people actually watch CNN and MSNBC combined? In primetime? They're lucky if they get 3 million people. There's 130-some-odd million Americans. You're worried about those three million? Why? Why are you letting that dominate your anxiety? You're on the left. You're concerned about the crazies that are watching Fox News. You know what they get in prime time? About the same as CNN and MSNBC combined. It's about three million, a little bit less. Why do you care so much? I think here's why. You think that's half the country. Consider this, on any given night in America, it's about 6 million people watching those three stupid channels that don't talk about anything important. Now, you can be discouraged because, well, so much of the country just doesn't care or they're, or they're so discouraged by this process, they're not involved. Okay, that's fine. We can talk about that, too. That's a different discouragement. But, man, when you look around and you're discouraged by the thought that half the country's crazy, half the country thinks this crazy thing, it's not true. Half the country doesn't think anything. Half the country's not involved at all. Half the country's not engaged with any of these processes. So you can be worried about that, but you don't have to be worried that half the country thinks a crazy thing because half the country's not paying attention. I actually am encouraged by that. I am encouraged that it wasn't some giant movement of Americans that gave us those two nominees in 2016. When you add up those numbers, it's like less than 15% of people. That's, that's an incredible way to run a political system, too. In the primary system... Fewer than 15% of Americans gave us those two people. You add up all the Republicans that voted for Trump in a primary, all the Democrats that voted for Hillary in a primary. That's a tiny little group of Americans. We should not be so concerned. Half the country, these giant numbers of crazy people. That's not true. You know, and I, I, even I get discouraged by them. I would give you two examples. You know, I, I improperly extrapolate negative inputs. So go back to the Obama years. And in 2008, when he was running and 
there's that woman. I tried to find the audio, and all the ones on YouTube are really bad quality, so I couldn't give it to you. But she's she's talking to a reporter at an Obama rally, and she says, I'm not going to have to worry about paying my rent, and I'm not going to have to worry about paying for gas. And her impression is obviously, oh, he's going to win, and he's going to give me a bunch of stuff. And you, discour- like, you get discouraged. You go, half the country's like that. He, he won. It's like half the country thinks like that. Or you remember that woman during the Romney campaign who was so belligerent outside a Romney event where she says, you know, everybody on disability get an Obama phone. You're on, you're on welfare. You're low income. You get an Obama phone. And then we, we that'd be me, extrapolate that to go, half the country is wanting to live off the government. And we get very discouraged by it. And then I heard one this week. This is from a Donald Trump rally. Don't get mad at me, folks, on the Trump side. But this is what a human being said. What are you guys hoping to hear President Trump speak about today? The caravan. I would like to know a little bit more about what's, what he's going to do, because that's an invasion of our country. And, um, you know, none of us here like it. So we'll see what he has to say about it tonight. But I love everything that comes out of his mouth. So It doesn't really matter what he says. We, we'll support it. It doesn't really matter what he says. We'll support it. I love everything that comes out of his mouth. Like literally all... Like, so, Come on, if there's one person you should temper that for, it's this guy. And then you extrapolate it and go, half the country thinks that the crazy stuff that comes out, the offensive, terrible things that come out of his mouth are good, and they'll agree with him about anything. And then we we freak out. We stress out. Half the country is this evil, this wrong, this stupid. Guys, it's not true. As we come up here on Tuesday for these, for these uh, midterm elections... 40%, 45% of eligible voters will show up. If you want to be discouraged, I don't know why anyone, anyone would want to, you can be discouraged by lack of participation. But don't let the news do this to you. Don't let the news convince you that there's a mass group of people out there that are trying to destroy the country. The vast majority of people are watching The Voice in American Idol and playing Farmville on their phone. That's what the vast majority of Americans are doing. Which brings me back to what started this. It was a story in Bloomberg. A story in Bloomberg of a guy who lives in Manhattan, the greatest, what is it, 13 some odd square miles? Something like that. Uh, In in human history, I do love Manhattan. And he went on a trip, road trip, all the way out to San Francisco. He drove it uh, through the northern part of the country. On the way back, he drove it through the southern part of the country. And he he just noticed how for the vast majority of places, as he goes in these little diners and stays in little hotels and interacts with people at different bars that he goes to, the rest of the country isn't New York, D.C., San Francisco, or where we people who do talk radio and political podcasts, they're not living like we are. If you actually turn off the news, and by the way, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to turn off Fox News, MSNBC, and CNN. Their, their interest is not in informing you. Their interest is in having you watch. And so they, mo- they emotionally manipulate you. They just want you to watch so that they can sell you gold and life insurance and all that other stuff they sell to old people. Uh, I, I could make another comment there. I'll leave it, I'll leave it out. That's what they do. They're not, they're not trying to make you better. They're not trying to make you smarter. And so, in any event, this where we live, we, we think it's so, the rest of the world's this way, and it's not. The rest of the world is fairly disinterested. So you can worry about their disinterest and try to get them involved, but don't worry that half the country is crazy. Don't do that. Which brings me back to where I started. Full circle, Elizabeth Warren. She goes and does a dumb thing. She embarrassingly puts out her results 
that she's not actually Native American. And a bunch of Americans thought it mattered. And by a bunch, I mean, I don't know, less than 10 million. And it becomes a funny little thing you do on the internet for a little while. And I bet some of you, when I brought it up 10 minutes ago, you went, wait, what? What Elizabeth Warren thing? And you actually did think it was a big deal two weeks ago. You thought it was a thing you should care about. And so I start today with this encouragement. Half the country's not crazy. Half the country doesn't care. So don't be so overwhelmed. Stop freaking out about everything. It's going to be okay. Got a lot more I want to do today. Talk about uh, reform, uh, Reformation Day. We're going to have uh, some, I'll give you some predictions on the upcoming election. I want to talk about horror movies. I think I have a short constitution lesson. There's a lot to do left from the Corey Truax Show, so stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome in to the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us. Find the show on demand at where? I, iTunes, Apple Podcast, Anchor, Stitcher, Google Play. There's a lot more. SoundCloud, lots of different places to listen to the show. Hope you will and share it with others. Tell someone about it. Now, we have two dueling holidays on October 31st. If you are listening to the show live on November the, uh, probably the 3rd, uh, that's on Saturday. For those listening to the podcast, maybe a little bit before that, there is Halloween, which most Americans celebrate, and then there's Reformation Day that I celebrate, and a lot of those in the church world celebrate as well. And so I want to spend some time on both, starting very quickly on Reformation Day. If you don't know what Reformation Day is, it is supposed to commemorate the the idea, the, the time in history where Martin Luther, this German monk, very upset primarily at a terrible practice the Catholic Church instituted, like it was the final straw for him, trying to graft the people, steal money from the people, sell indulgences to get loved ones out of purgatory. It finally spurs him on to nail the 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg. My dad actually has been there, brought me a t-shirt back that said something like, um, oh, I forgot what the shirt says, but it's super funny. Uh, It actually was in English. Uh, 95 problems, but good theology isn't one or something like that. It was very funny. Um, And I don't know why you sell shirts in English in Germany, but in any event, in Wittenberg, he nails his 95 theses to the door, which was a fairly normal thing at the time. That actually just means I'm ready for a debate, everybody. I'd like to have a public forum about these 95 things. Here's 95 things that I think that are true. Let's get get together and debate them. And that 95 theses, which he didn't know was happening, younger guys got this to Johann Gutenberg, that printing press. This is the timing and the sovereignty of God and history that when these theses, these, these good pieces of theology, the solas of the Reformation, that you're saved by grace through faith, uh, the, the, you got through the, the other five solas. Now, it's only to the glory of God. We only get our information from Scripture, all the different solas, that in God's sovereignty, there was the printing press at the time to get all this information out. And so, we just look back this time of year every year to remember it's 501 years since the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which ultimately undergirds the Enlightenment period and really the, uh, the return of really incredible human flourishing under the theology brought about by the, by the Reformation 501 years ago, from October 31st. I also bring it up because it is my contention that we should mark the year 
with Christian holidays. You know, we mark our our years often with anniversaries in our household or birthdays of our kids. And then we mark them by Christmas. We mark them by Thanksgiving. We mark them by the 4th of July. And there's things that we have in the rhythm of our year. Well, can I encourage you? Put in the rhythm of your year to remember Reformation Day when it happens. That we would stop for a second, teach our kids. This is an important day. Not just because we get to dress up. And if If your family recognizes Halloween, we dress up and we go get candy and stuff. But also a very important thing happened on this day where where God sovereignly brought about a reformation of good theology, a, a, re, a re-energizing of going to Scripture, not to an institution or to man, but going to Scripture for our truth, the real one truth that comes from the Bible. So let me encourage you, spend some time on that as well. So that's Reformation Day. The other thing that happens on October 31st is Halloween. And I had... A discussion with some folks about horror movies, and it made me want to say some things on the air. So, I had a, basically a question about my opinion on Christians who watch horror movies. To which I immediately replied, like, which horror movies? I don't like talking about anything in categories. I don't like talking about... I mean, we do this with racial groups. It's always a bad thing when you're talking about, well, you know, white people do, Hispanic people do, black people do. No, don't do that. That's a terrible thing. People are individuals. You know, women think, nope, nope, don't do that. The LGBT folks, they think, nope, 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 we're not doing that. Because people are individuals, don't put them in groups. This is the same thing with movies. There are some unredeemable horror movies. There are some unredeemable romantic comedies. So it's not just horror movies is a problem, but I, that's kind of what I wanted to get you through is how do we measure this? Because this is a genre for fear. I don't, I don't like the genre. I, I will admit a, a general befuddlement. I don't understand the person who goes, you know what emotion I want to feel? Fear. I just love it. I just want to be terrified for a little bit. I want to have trouble, get, trouble getting to sleep. I would love to see an image that disturbs me in such a way that I can recall that image with vividness 10 years later. That's what I want to see in a movie. You know, where you ask me, hey, what do you want in a movie? Well, I would like when I walk out for me to have maybe learn something or been challenged to think about something differently. I definitely want to have been entertained. I want to be surprised. I, I hope I felt a, a, a moment of of mystery while I was doing that. Uh, maybe I want some excitement. That, that's what Those are the emotions I want out of a movie. And then there are those of us who say, you know what I want? Sheer terror. That's what I want. That's the emotions that I prefer. I don't know why that's, that is. I think there is a chance that, that there is, at least for some people, something to discuss spiritually there. Why do you like that? What is that feeling? What is it that appeals to you in those things? But not all, all horror movies are created equally. So, I think it is important for us to talk it through. So, uh, with all movies, I go by a, a, something I've given you previously. Uh, I can't remember who came up with this originally. But it was a, a rubric, a metric, that there are some movies, arts, music, that you can just receive. They're fine the way they are. There are some things, some things you have to reject. You, there's just no place in the Christian life for you to, to, to consume this media, or you can redeem it. I think most things in the Western world are redeemable. They're not just receivable, and they're not outright you have to reject them. Most things you can 
redeem. And so when you think about horror movies and what you watch, that's the counsel I would give. Are you watching a movie that has a redeeming quality? Is there something in it that can be redemptive? The opposite of redemptive, uh, that's a risky language. Maybe I shouldn't say opposite. Something in distinction of redemption, it is different, that we should avoid is nihilism. Nihilistic movies are something the Christian should not uh, encourage people to, uh, to consume. It's nothing that we need to be consuming. If you don't know nihilism, it is a philosophy from, it's the 1800s, it came out of plus it's it's Russian, but also there are some folks, French philosophers who would be associated with nihilism. It is a rejection of religion and morality. They do outright reject religion and morality, in that they say that life it has no meaning. So everything is meaningless. Everything is terrible, and there is no meaning in it. And that's their their proactive argument. Their constructive argument is everything is meaningless. There is no meaning, and we should behave. Accordingly. So I'll give you two examples of this. I've not seen either. Well, I have seen one of these movies. I've seen one of them. I read the synopsis of the other. I'm about to make some people super mad. And when you get mad, you can write to me or you can leave me a voicemail on Anchor and tell me why I'm wrong. But take Paranormal Activity, for example. Hugely successful movie franchise. And I don't know about the sequels, but I do know about the first one. In Paranormal Activity, you have a demonic attack on a family. And it's through found footage is the genre where you you can see demonic things happening in the house. I've never seen this movie, but it, it freaked a bunch of people out. There's You can actually look back on the stories. I think the first one came out 10 years ago. Like There were people leaving theaters, and there were folks who were having panic attacks and some folks even heard urinating in theaters like it was it's a it was a terrifying movie and if you follow spoiler alert for those who have not seen paranormal activity the movie ends with everyone dying there was no redemptive quality it's just evil wins for whatever reason evil wants to win it doesn't even really have a it doesn't even have a desire it's just evil for evil's sake and end of movie we're done the movie the strangers was the same way i did see this one under social pressure and compulsion. Again, I think this is close to 10 years ago. Strangers is a movie with, I think it's Liv Tyler. I can't remember the guy in the movie. But three random people, totally unconnected to the other two, they just choose a house, terrorize those people for a little while, and then stab them to death. Now, how could you make that redeeming? For example, let's uh, take put that in contradistinction to... I know what you did last summer. Okay, the first I know what you did last summer came out in the mid to late 90s, Jennifer Love Hewitt. You find out that the murderer in that movie is looking for vengeance. Now, is that redeemable? No. His vengeance isn't good. He's not going about it the right way. But there's a reason he wants to commit this violence. He thinks what he's doing is righteous. And then for, and therefore, in distinction, you can teach the virtue of forgiveness. You can, in distinction, think about what it means to let something eat at you to the point that you go on to murder. There's at least something you can redeem out of it. And it is portrayed, that, that person is portrayed as the bad guy. This is the, the evil one. With the strangers, it literally is murder for the sake of murder. It is murder as recreation. They don't know each other. There's no connection. There's nothing to draw from it. 
Except, were you scared? Did it bring you an emotional appeal? Those two movies, Paranormal Activity, Strangers, there are others, they are nihilistic. They are meaningless. And I think they are making the argument. They're actually making a proactive argument. Things are meaningless. Bad things just happen for no reason, and they end in finality and death, and there's no reason for it, and just accept the meaninglessness of your existence. And so, I would encourage the Christian, don't watch those. Those have, have no redeeming quality. But I just gave you the example. I know what you did last summer. There's some kind of storyline there. There are others where you can pull out some kind of meaning, some kind of motive to what's going on. I don't have any interest in those because, again, I don't like the genre. But where I got the question, hey, what do you think about Christians watching horror movies? Well, I think the same thing about Christians watching any kind of movie, really. Measure it. Is there anything here I can redeem? Or should I outright reject it if it's nihilistic in its nature? I would say that you should. Okay, so that is the word on horror movies. And I think generally I hope that's useful to you as you think about what you let your kids watch. I think I've mentioned before, when I take the kids, my nephews, uh, 15 and 14 years old, to movies. On the way home from movies, we do that. I don't think they like that I do this, but I ask them that question. What was the message of the movie? What were they trying to teach you? What were they trying to preach to you? And we, we make them, why we, I mean me, on the way home, think through these things. So I'll give you just one example. Black Panther, great Marvel movie that came out last year. I can understand them not getting the message of the movie, but I swear, I've not heard them say it in an interview, but the folks who made this movie, they were obviously rehaving the conversation. They were reinitiating the conversation that happened in the civil rights movement between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. There was The main character was a Martin Luther King-type character looking for some kind of peace and it was he was going to use passive means we want peace this way the other was very aggressive he was making the Malcolm X argument that we've got to go forcefully take what we want and what they actually ended up landing on a Black Panther was some balance between the two is the way that should have went that was the right way forward that when you are feeling oppressed when you are actually oppressed when there is injustice happening and you have one option of just taking and destroying. That's what Malcolm X wanted to do. To do. And you have another option of being passive as, as your method of winning with Martin Luther King that they their argument was maybe somewhere in between is the way to go. I don't even know if I agree with their argument, but they were making an argument in the movie. And this happens in movies all the time, but we don't turn our brains on to, to focus on them. What was that trying to tell me? Like, we literally just walk out of movies and we never think about them ever again. We just wash right into our brain and we never really analyze what happened in that movie, what it was trying to to say what there was, uh, what the metaphor was. And there's messages to these movies often, including horror movies. So think through them. And uh, my big rule on horror movies is just nihilism. If it's nihilistic, if it is the celebration of meaninglessness, making the argument for meaninglessness, it's not worth your time. All right, next, what do we got? All right, uh, no good transition here. I just want to talk about this week. There was a, a fairly oft had, it was often had in the media, a discussion about rhetoric and violence. A friend of mine, really talented guy, Cody Fields, he, I was on their podcast, uh, the, Docs, the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. If you haven't heard that yet, go listen to it. Find it anywhere my podcast is, the Westminster Doxology Podcast. We talked about Christians and government. He posted something about how 
something stuff that Donald Trump says is bad. It's not good, but it also didn't cause anybody to shoot up a a Jewish a synagogue. It's bad stuff, but it doesn't cause violence. And there was a discussion with people that I really respect that were arguing on that, and that's fine. Uh, but I, I I do want to give my opinion, and as I always think, my opinion is totally right on this. That's just my nature, and I need to work on it. Rhetoric doesn't cause violence. That's my thesis. Rhetoric doesn't cause violence. And I'm really consistent on this. For example, the guy who went and shot up the Republican baseball practice, you remember that? Steve Scalise got shot. He was a Bernie Sanders person who had posted on social media stuff that Bernie Sanders said. You know, Bernie Sanders will say things that if Republicans are in power, people will die because of their health care policy. People will actually die. They will lose their lives. And reports from that park is that the guy was actually saying things about health care while he was shooting them. And so he hears Bernie Sanders say, these Republicans are so evil, their policies will kill people. And then he goes and he tries to kill them. Now, did Bernie Sanders' rhetoric cause that? Nope, sure didn't. It's not Bernie Sanders' fault. It's that guy's fault. That guy chose to grab a gun. That guy chose to go kill people. Not Bernie Sanders' fault. Equally. Is it bad when Donald Trump says in, in what was in, in Virginia, Charlottesville, that there are bad people on both sides? Yeah, that's bad. When he wouldn't condemn David Duke of the KKK back in, uh, back in the campaign, when he says he's a nationalist, is all that bad? Sure is. Those are terrible things. Does that then say... It's his fault when somebody decides to go do a terrible thing and kills people? No, it's not his fault. Because rhetoric isn't violence. Words aren't violence. Words are words. And we would do well, we would be wise to separate those two. And then be wise about our words. Words can influence people. They can't force anybody to do anything. We should be careful about the things we say, but they are not violence and where tragedies happen, it's very sad. But we cannot be people that then go and blame blame what someone said for someone else's actions. Blame that person for their words. Blame the other person for their actions. But you can't blame the person's words for someone else's actions. That's not how culpability works. One other example of this. You know, Donald Trump did say back in rallies, you know, punch that guy in the face. It's like a protester. Well, if someone actually punched him in the face... Is that Donald Trump's fault? Yeah. It's 100% someone his fault. Maybe 50-50, the puncher and Donald Trump. Of course it's his fault. But Donald Trump saying, punch that guy in the face, and then someone going to shoot something else, shoot up a synagogue. No, he didn't cause that. What he says is terrible. He did not cause violence to be perpetrated on someone else. Next, I had a message from a good friend, Mr. Mr. McDowell, if you're out there listening. Hi there, sir encouraged me to do some more of this Constitution stuff. You know, I uh, I did a thing on the 4th, 5th, and 6th Amendments a while back. It's good good teaching, and so I just thought I would pull out some trivia from time to time on the Constitution to uh, teach you about it, because the Constitution's awesome. So I want to talk about the 19th Amendment for a second. The 19th Amendment is the amendment that which empowered women to vote. Actually, the story behind getting the 19th Amendment ratified is super dramatic. If you don't know that story, you should just go read about it. It was uh, it was being ratified through the states, and that's how a constitutional amendment works. You need, I think it's three-fourths of the states. And they had gotten the effort all the way to they needed one more state. And it was like years, almost a decade, that 
they just couldn't get the one more state to ratify it. It ended up in Tennessee, and it, it passed their state legislature by one vote. And the one vote that did it was a, he was the youngest member of the state legislature in Tennessee. And he came to the Capitol, I think they're in Nashville, predisposed to voting against it, not having the amendment that would allow women to vote. And he got a letter from his mother who changed his mind on it. It's a really dramatic story, but really quick piece of trivia. Did you know that women could actually vote before that? Now, women could vote individually after the 19th Amendment, but there's actually several examples in history of women who were widows getting to vote. Because the idea, well, certainly there was some misogyny and sexism in there, but the idea was just about nuclear family. It was a vote for that household. And that household had a man, a wife, and kids in it. And when the man was gone, there were provisions in most states where that woman could then go and vote as the head of that household until one of the boys was old enough to take over that role. So, little 19th Amendment trivia for you that I always have found interesting. It was really not primarily about keeping something from women. It was primarily about having it one vote per nuclear family. So now you know something more about the 19th Amendment. We'll be back with more of the Corey Truax Show in just a bit. Stick with us. Welcome back into the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us for our final segment before we get into sports. With the midterm elections coming up next week, if you were listening live on Saturday, we're just days away from the midterms. I, I tell you, I don't. I'm just getting more, more and more apolitical. I barely care about these, but... I'll give you my last prediction. I think Republicans build their their lead in the Senate the, by uh, maybe four seats. So right now they have 51 to 49. I feel really good about picking up at least three uh, for Republicans. Montana, Missouri, and Indiana are all going red. Like all three of those. So I think Republicans can count on having 54. There is some chance that the Democrats are going to win in Arizona to pick one off. That doesn't look great out there. Florida's a very weird one right now. Keep an eye on Florida if you're into such things. I'm not into such things. I will not be watching on Tuesday night. Florida has a situation where the governor's race is driving the turnout because the Democrats, they nominate an insane person. Just an insane person. And so I don't think... I would typically say the the Democrat incumbent there, Nelson in Florida, he would have an advantage. Incumbency is a huge advantage. But Republican turnout might be driven enough by that governor's race, and while those folks are there voting for the Republican governor, also voting for the Republican for Senate. I could certainly see that happening there in Florida. But in short, Republicans are going to end up with 54 to 55 senators. And I don't want to say it, but the more I see the numbers, Republicans look like they will lose the House. If they retain it, I really do think it's one or two votes. It's that tight. And those one or two votes matter for just purposes of not tying up the system. Because if Democrats do win, what you're really looking at is just investigations for the next two years. Just investigation. There'll be a subpoena on tax records and all kinds of stuff. And it couldn't happen to a a better guy, right? I mean, I'm not going to cry for the president if that happens. I just mean for the sake of the country. Because not trying to worry about politicians, but thinking about the 310 million people who live here, that's not good for the country for that to be the outcome. It's just two years of a bunch of investigations. Okay, final thoughts. And it's from 
a conversation I sort of overheard. I won't even give the location of where I overheard it so as to not offend anybody. But this show goes everywhere, right? We talk about everything. I'm talking about a very churchy thing right now. I want to talk about worship for a minute. Immediately when folks hear that word worship, what they think I mean is music. And that is what I think was happening in the conversation I overheard, where it just seemed like, as folks were talking about churches and churches they they go to and other churches they've tried or visited, and they were talking about worship as just the, uh, I'll tell you, man, it really was just about music. What instruments were there? How many songs were played? What kind of songs were played versus uh, old or new? A lot of discussion about emotions. So I just want to give some clarity. I think maybe just two thoughts. So one is this. Feelings aren't worship. Because I can make you feel all kinds of things. That happens at secular concerts all the time. You know how easily you're manipulated. You know how easily I'm manipulated by music. Like music's a powerful thing. With the right synthesizer and the right pattern of things. You know how easy it is to to make you feel something? That's not even hard. In a lot of the, the bottom line, a lot of the big mega churches, they're good at that. There's a reason they bring out somebody to do a little synthesizer when there's a re- response time after a sermon because they know they can manipulate your emotions. And so I know folks who've left those worship gathering things where the music was manipulative to their emotions and they thought they had such an incredible worship experience. Well, you didn't. You just had your emotions manipulated. That's all that happened. You had you had music that manipulated how you felt, how you felt. And so number one is feelings, what you feel is not worship. Number two, I think I just thought of three things. Number two, worship is the idea of doing something that portrays your attitude that something is worth your affection, worth your effort, worth your your love, your adoration. That that there's an action that portrays that's how you that's how you react to this God or react to something else. You, there's an action that portrays your affections. That's what worship is. So it's not a feeling. It is it is more of an action. And then finally, that should be a note to search your heart on what stirs your affections. What stirs those emotions? Because I will tell you this. If you can hear the lyrics before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. I have a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever, it means forever, for all of time, whoever lives and pleads for me. That's a worshipful thing to hear. That's deep in my heart that that's true. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. This idea of you are the only treasure my only treasure. And if that's played with just a piano or play with just an organ or play with just an acoustic guitar or just the voices of the people, if those truths don't drive you to worship, you're not worshiping anyway. If you felt something because some music was played in a way that is designed to elicit your emotional response, I tell you what you didn't do. You didn't worship. That's not what that's called. You just had a physical response to, to a stimuli. That's all happened there. It's not a worshipful thing at all. That's actually a fleshly thing. So I would ask you to challenge yourself. What causes you to worship? Is it things that are true? 
or is it emotional manipulation from a musical stimulus? We're going to move on to sports. Remember, get the show on demand and please share it with others. Rate it where you find it. Click like and share anytime you see things on Facebook for me or on other social media. We're out of time. Let's do sports. It is getting that time of year where our weekly sports wrap is getting a lot of fun. We are in the heart of the college football lead-up to the to the postseason, so we're going to talk about sports with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hello there. Hello. Let's talk about today's big game first. It is a showdown in the bayou. Yep. Alabama Crimson Tide going down for arguably, I don't want to be a jerk, but arguably their first real test of the year. I don't think it's being a jerk. I think just, that's just realistic. They've not like, played they a great been team. Tested. Yeah, right. This is well, so their G- best team they played. G-E-A-X Tigers. Go Tigers. <laughs> yeah, they misspelled <laughs> it on purpose. Uh, of course, Alabama's going to be favored. Right. If LSU has a chance, uh-huh. it has to look like what? That's a lot of pressure on Tua. Yeah. They've got to live in the backfield and make him uncomfortable. No one has no one's been able to do that thus far this year. No. Uh, he's just sitting back there cherry-picking his receiver, and don't get me wrong, he throws a fantastic ball. Sure does. It's not a diss on Tua, but nobody's been in his face yet. If LSU can't do that, it's going to be a blowout by Alabama. But when you see the game in your head, I, I do see a game that's close in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I do too. You do too? Yeah. Okay, I, I wonder if I was a moron for thinking that this game could be tight. Well, my close game in the fourth quarter is based on pressure on Tua. Yeah. Um, what they can do as far as getting in the backfield, getting his face, pressure, hurry, hits. All that stuff. Now, if they don't do any of that, it's going to be a blowout by halftime. It just of course. Works. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Then another SC, big SEC game is this Georgia-Kentucky game. I'll tell you this. If you had told me, hey, week 10 of the football season, uh, Georgia and Kentucky are going to play for basically to win the East. Right. This is, to me, the East championship game. Who you got and why? How often in the past four or five years has Georgia not had the best running back on the field? Never, uh, never really. Benny Snell from Kentucky may be the best running back for either either you, team. You make a he great a point. Fantastic, I love that guy. Yeah, I've watched. This is weird, but I've probably watched four or five Kentucky games this year, which is not normal. You, yeah, not basketball games. It's, yeah, <laughs> that's right, not games. on the hardwood. Right. Snell is awesome. I love the Independence Kansas Kansas transfer at quarterback they have. Um, I don't know. I think Georgia better better pay attention to this one. It's at Kentucky. It's at Kentucky, and that's all. Which sounds weird. That's a rough place to play. It is right now. Yep. I never thought anyone could have built that. And that's one of the Stoops boys, isn't it? Yep. It so is. in terms of legacy and coaching, there's a there's a lot of good that comes out of being part of that Stoops tree. Yeah, because he was told he couldn't win at Kentucky, and that's just not true. Well, I would have told him that. I told I anyone. Think, I think that's the general consensus that Vanderbilt's hard to win at, Kentucky's hard to win at. Um, that's just the perception. For your certain sport. Like, if you get the Kentucky basketball job, you're great. You get yeah. the, Van- the Vanderbilt baseball job, you can win there. Right. You can't win in Kentucky football. Right. That's not a thing. But he sure is. Got a chance to win the East this weekend. Uh, over in the Big 12, this might actually be a, a Big 12 rematch for the championship game later. Texas and West Virginia square off in a top a top uh, 13 matchup. It's T- Texas all the way, right? Nightmare scenario is Texas winning that game for the Big 12 because Oklahoma State already beat Texas. Yeah. If West Virginia loses, it's going to be horrible for them. Pac-12 is already eliminated. There's a scenario there where Big 12 could eliminate themselves. Yeah, they're going to cannibalize themselves out of a, a shot at the playoff. I don't think anybody in the Big 12 is one of the top four teams in the country. I was going to say, though, if you look eye test, Oklahoma's the best team in the Big 12. I think so. I it's, don't th- it's West Virginia or Oklahoma. Yeah. 
And I don't think either one of those teams is better than Notre Dame, Alabama, Clemson, or or Michigan, Ohio State, one or the other. Yeah, I don't either. Okay. Yeah, I just the, don't. We're on the same page there. Um, okay, one more game I wanted to get to, and then we'll recap what happened last week. And that was – no, okay, that was the last one. There is another ranked matchup. No, that's Stanford-Washington. But um, that's because, – because the Pac-12 is not Right, relevant. I mean, it's just not relevant. Yeah. All right, so we're, as we're talking, the, the playoff rankings have not come out. Right. They come out on Tuesday. This will air live on Saturday. Right now, if you're asking me who has the best resume, yep. not who's looked the best, right. who has the best wins, it's Notre Dame. That yep. would be my argument. Am I, am I wrong on that? No, not as far as eyeball, you know, name wins, s- schedule, all that stuff. But this is what I think it's going to look like. Okay. Alabama 1, yep. Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3, Michigan 4. I agree. That's two, now, this is two days before the rankings come out. That's what I think the rankings will look like. And then that's probably all going to go down the drain Saturday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I agree totally that's how they're going to come out. But if I were in the room, right, I would be arguing, oh, we all know Alabama has it looks the best right now. Yeah, they do. But and here's the thing that hurts Notre Dame. They do not play a conference championship game. It's going to hurt them. They're an independent. They cherry pick who they want to play, when they want to play them. ACC's got some weird scratch my back, scratch your back, sometimes kind of deal. Um I don't know, man. I think it's a disservice to the other three teams that make the playoff if you put Notre Dame in there. I just do. I and, and Notre Dame may be deserving of it. Sure. Yeah. But I look at their that extra game, man. That's that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I look at their schedule thus far with wins over Stanford and Michigan. They have better wins, uh, at least. Well, as the Stanford win is in the tank now. Doesn't mean as that's much. not a big win. The, the Michigan, Michigan win still means something. Yeah. As of now. Clemson's best win is that at A&M. Yep. And currently, as we sit, Alabama does – I don't know that they have a game that you can say, that's a great win for Yeah, Alabama. they don't have a big win on their resume. Not except yet. that they're Alabama and people don't care about their resume. No. Well, <laughs> I mean, they crush everybody in front of they them. They do. Um, okay, so the playoff rankings are coming out. We'll revisit them next week when they do. Final thing we'll do is just recap uh, the week that was in South Carolina's teams. Uh, so South Carolina pulled out a late one against Tennessee. Did you happen to see any yeah, of that? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I watched it. Um Looked bad for South Carolina in the first half, but mm-hmm. they made a few plays at the end, you know, in the second half, and they put it together and won by three. It's still a team that can be a bowl team. Yeah, and they that, can be a bowl team. That needs to set. That needs to be the goal set. I think if South Carolina lost that game, their chances was like thirty three percent, and after they won that game, it jumped up to like sixty seven percent to make a bowl. Yes, uh, and they're I think four and three now. They have to win two more. They will. They'll get one of those. Maybe not a game around New Year's Day, but they're right. they're going to get a bowl yeah. of some sort. Uh, then the Clemson game, utter. Utter destruction that I never thought I would see of a Florida State team by anyone. Well, we said this last week on the radio. This is Florida State, but it's not the Florida State. There are a lot of problems at Florida State. There sure are. When when the game starts – well, first of all, what was telling to me is the Clemson-Florida State game's at 12 noon. Yeah. That is an 8 o'clock game every year. It's supposed to be. It should be. That's how far Florida State has fallen, not only that. But then they turn the cameras on, and the stadium's three-quarters full, if if that much. That blew There's my no mind. one there. Yeah. No one. The By halftime, it was empty except for orange people and the guy with his shirt off reading the book. Which is a great meme, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> it was awesome. I, I love that. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> but I noticed the same thing on, on a field goal attempt when they showed the, the Yeah, because we talked about it. Yeah, while we were watching together. The You're like, did all those zone. people leave? And I was like, nah, man, there was nobody there. <laughs> they were never there. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a rapture right. that never showed up. The Florida State team felt like in the second quarter after maybe the second touchdown, 
it felt like they quit. Yeah, we discussed this at my house watching the game, and not only did we discuss it, after the game, Willie Taggart commented on it, and he felt like a did lot he? of his players gave up, and he cannot have players like that. I didn't hear this. Team. So he said they yes, quit. Yes, he said that. Well, he's right. Now this is I saw it. This seemed like a eight-hour game to me for some reason. Mm-hmm. But we had talked about it in the second half, I mean in the second quarter, and this is post-game. He, and I saw it on – somebody put his Twitter shot up there, screenshot of it. I was like, wow, that's bad when the coach has to talk about that. At that point, you've lost the team at some sort, in some way, where you have great talent and they may need to transfer out. And, and not only that, it was it was so bad where they were getting – they had, what, one ejected on targeting, two yeah. ejected for throwing punches. I mean, I don't know how many penalties they had, 12 or 15, and it was just – I mean, the trains came off quick, if they if it even had wheels. When it hit me, it was with Lynn J. Dixon – Yep. Had four guys hit him, and all of them should have tackled him. And they all just bounced off of him. And it was, you're not even, you guys aren't trying. They're not even trying. Yeah, you guys have quit. And I, that should be a lesson to young men. It should. Don't do that in a game. You don't give up no matter what the score is. He, if you're not going to have enough pride I to play that. your guts yes. out, even if you're losing by 50, which they were, yes. then you need to take your jersey off, let them have your scholarship back, and, yeah. and go back grocery somewhere. I agree. I, that, I'm, and I'm not ooh. a Florida State fan by any means, but I tell you what. I do have enough respect for myself to not quit. I if FISA fires me up. Yeah, that ticks me off actually. I would I loved playing you in basketball because you could beat me. But now I'm down eleven zero. I could come back again. I could do this. I want to win fifteen to eleven. But now. if you're not gonna have that attitude, you should not be on the field, the court, the whatever you wanna whatever you're doing. Any sport. It's a that's a life lesson. It's life. it's not even sports. I agree. It's everything. If you have this attitude in your life, you're going to run into things. Where you're going to want to quit, and if you do, it's a, there's consequences. Yeah, are you entitled to win this game? That's a good word. No, man. you're not entitled to win this game. Good stuff. They are better than you, and you know it. And what did you do? You didn't try to get better. Yeah. You quit, and you gave up. And not only did you give up on yourself, your entire team was let yeah. down by those individuals quitting. I love that Willie Taggart said it. I'm glad he said it. Those guys need to learn something. Somebody need to say it. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. We'll come Besides back. me yeah. and you in my living room. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come back and talk about what happens next week with Alabama and LSU. Thanks for coming in and doing sports. I appreciate it. We'll come back with another new edition of the Corey Act Show next week. Until then, everybody. Peace and love.